Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome, everybody, to Finding Hermes. I hope you're ready to uh, put all your cards down on the table and be transparent to the transcendent because this is the age of Hermes. And as we're finding out, 2021 is going to be as exciting as 2020. So in this age of Hermes, uh, the religion of the mind, as Gary Lachman called it, is more important than ever to delve into who we are. And yes, a little bit of a, a break because of the holidays, but we are back and we shall continue to have some excellent content with us. Uh, we have the pleasure of being joined by Lachlan Frankemont. Lachlan, how are you? And thanks for coming on. Yeah, I'm pretty good, Miguel. I, you know, I'm excited about this. Uh, you know, really haven't done uh, many podcasts uh, about this, you know, so uh, I'm looking forward to getting it out there. Yes, yes. Love your work and what you're doing. And uh, it's excellent that you are a scholar, you're a scientist, you are a seeker of higher truths. Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess we can call you a mystic. And you are a uh, you are in recovery. So you're like the the full package. I'm I'm also a soldier, by the way, that was actually my first role out of high school was in the army. And Uh uh, I was a combat engineer. Uh, served in the first Gulf War right on the tip of the spear for the Seventh Corps invading Iraq. Mm. Um, we literally put in the central lanes in my task force for the entire Seventh Corps uh, as we went in there. And uh, I uh, periodically still do uh, work uh, for the military. Mm. And I guess the question were you in recovery or were you using and drinking in those I days? I was usually drinking at the, the time. army. You were uh, probably as much as possible without getting in trouble. I, I, <laughs> I did actually really well compared to many of my fellow soldiers a bit. I don't know how I, you know, but I really did excel. Uh, but yeah, there was, you know, there's the thing about um, soldiers who go out, off to battle when they come home, uh, all the problems. Um, I believe that out, that out of my platoon, I can't remember the exact number of my platoon. I think it was something like 32, 33, members of my platoon uh there were 27 who were married when they went over and all were divorced within the year oh so that that gives you some indication of the kind of uh change in your mindset that goes on when you're uh, exposed to real battle um and it also talks to the trauma uh that my work has is aims at 
addressing. Okay. Yeah, I can imagine. And oh, when was uh, you might say rock bottom for you? At what point? Uh, and when was the the turning around, or as they yes, say so, in uh, Gnosticism, uh, the metanoia, the turning back, or looking at the plural? Yeah. So I'll I'll tell you, uh, my rock bottom actually did not get me into recovery, but uh, it did stop me from using cocaine, which was. Mm. A, a major source of problems. And around the year 2000, I was working in uh, Chiapas in the southernmost state of, of Mexico at the time. Uh, and I, I was using a lot of substances, alcohol, a lot, you know, I was doing, um, you know, I was doing a lot of things. Cocaine was one of the big ones. Uh, I had this, I had some quite mystical experiences, which uh, I'm, don't know if I really want to detail today or not. Uh, but uh, what the end result was, was that I ended up getting divorced, uh, losing a, a house that was paid for and losing my job in Central America all within the matter of days. Mm -hmm. uh, I was at a terrible point as far as I felt like I was, you know, caught between selling Charybdis you know, um, and I didn't know quite where to turn. So I ended up moving to Phoenix, Arizona. Um, like I said, I didn't have a job. So I took up a job uh, with consumer safety out there, um, a nonprofit organization. Uh, but I was, I also worked at this, uh, you know, in a museum reproduction store in a mall, you know, and I felt like that was one of the greatest refuges of my life where I could be surrounded by the art of all ages, you know, every day, even though, I mean, some of the reproductions weren't great and, you know, they weren't the original, but it really um, allowed me some time to heal. Not enough time because I had to go back into action as soon as the towers fell mm. in 2001, uh, working both for the Red Cross and Greenpeace. Um and then I had some more of those allegorical experiences that I don't know whether I should really relate or not. Yeah, you can, or we can do it for another time. As uh... well, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you like kind of the allegorical thing was that uh, a friend of mine, Matthew, thought he could move uh, rocks with his mind alone, and I had to show him that the way to move a rock was you pick the rock up and you carry it to where you need it to go. Now, I don't doubt that someday Matthew will be able to move rocks with his mind alone, uh, but it's not, it's not the kind of power that you give to children, you know? So uh, that's what I would say about that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure uh, through my addiction, obviously there were, uh, you might say, supernatural uh, events, uh, mystic mm -hmm. insights and all that, but it still didn't, you might say tame the beast uh yeah. and uh, even though the divine was right there and like you there was beauty and art in the world i just didn't want to see it i was uh right. i just wanted to again feed this demon that was inside of me until right. i guess one day right. i said I, I just i can't take it anymore I, and i did something i rarely did i just asked i asked for help and i laid my cards down on the table and said this is what i've right. become a shell of what I once was and everything that as a kid, I did not want to be, I became, and I don't want to be that anymore. I don't want to lower my standards anymore. I can't do it. Right. I hear you. And as you know, as, uh, as a fellow active person in recovery, you know, hearing other stories like that is actually so essential to spiritual growth. Uh, hearing the reality that people speak and not this front that they put on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I just speaking a little bit about my own uh, process of coming in to uh, AA. Um, what had happened after uh, got to Phoenix, which by the way, Phoenix is one of the hot spots for esoteric um, mm -hmm. people in this country. It's there's a lot happening in Phoenix. It's below the surface. Um, and it's where I learned uh, a lot about the Golden Dawn, actually. Mm, wow. Um, 
so anyway, I was in Phoenix, but I was, uh, you know, I was bored with my job. Like I said, it was consumer safety. It was important, but it also was boring to me. <laughs> so I started taking uh, classes at Scottsdale Community College and Arizona State University there. And they were very eclectic. They were basically just picking out things I wanted to learn more about. But one of those ended up being a behavioral neuroscience class. And uh, it was with a, a man named Eddie Castaneda. And he uh, he required a term paper like a lot of classes do. So I, I actually chose to write about brain computer interface. Now, I started reading these articles and realized I didn't understand a thing that they were saying. <laughs> I didn't understand the language. So I went to Eddie and I said, can, is there anyone here at Arizona State who can help me understand these papers. And he gave me, she gave me two names, but the only one that responded back was a man named Stephen Helms Tillery. And uh, he said, sure, come by during office hours and I'll help you with this. And uh, so I did. And I thought that he would give me maybe what, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you know, depending on who else was at office, you know how that goes. Um, but we spoke for well over two hours and I realized as I left his office that I wanted to, to find a way to quit my job, come back to school, work in his lab and get a whole nother degree. Um, you know, which, by the way, up till that time, I, my first degree was in political science from the Ohio State University. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did. I, I came back, did work on uh, research on the pre-shaping of the hand as it moves into grasp things. And uh, I got another degree. It was very um, different kind of path, but it ended up being in psychology for several reasons. And I, and I ended up uh, getting really my pick of grad schools uh, wherever I wanted to really go amongst the ones I applied for. And the one I chose was Brown University uh, to work under the great uh, John Donahue, who is uh, probably the world's leading expert. There's some debate. There'd be debate on this question, but in my mind, he's the world's greatest expert on brain-computer interface uh, and what goes into that. Um, so I got to work directly under him. But in the first year uh, of grad school there, uh, I went. I had broken up with a partner in in, uh, in Phoenix, an MD. She was a doctor on, on one of the local Indian reservations. So I broke up with her and she had kind of been a bit of a, of a steady rock for me uh, during those times. But without her, I found myself going right back into drinking extremely heavily, lots of blackouts. Um, and by February of my first year there, I knew that if I didn't make a serious move in a serious direction, I was going to lose a new relationship that I was in. And B, I would probably be kicked out of grad school. Mm-hmm. And so I, that was when I went into AA, uh, was at that point. Um, no so rehab, I, just AA? Start going to meetings? Just AA. I'm a one-chip wonder. <laughs> uh, as soon as I went in, I never, uh, I've never drank past that time. That's great. That is really right. great to hear. Yeah, I think uh, what we were talking about, and you've mentioned too, Lachlan, is... Uh, I was in an interview in a podcast recently, and I said, uh, recovery like gnosis isn't recovery gnosis unless you give it away. I mean, you have to share it with the world. You have to help others. Uh, Human beings, if you tell somebody, don't drink, uh, don't do drugs like our parents did, we're not going to listen. But if we share our stories, because our minds are made of stories, and we enter the realm of... uh, allegory and symbol we will reach others and to show our humanity and our humility and how we needed help and in a way we show how strong we are just as when i would go to meetings or rehab i was in awe by others who you know would tell me of their just be so transparent about what happened or is what they did and how i can relate to and ultimately how they found a way out yeah, you know, it's very interesting of how AA actually bears a lot of similarities to Crowley's AA. You know, there are a lot of deep similarities between these pathways, uh, while they superficially may look quite different on the surface. 
Um, and uh, as we know, the AA uh, from Crowley is passed, you know, almost like from a sponsor to a sponsee mm-hmm. who there will also sponsor, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting correspondence um, between those two things. But the, the thing about AA and is that, and I know that we're talking about it somewhat openly, but generally in society as a large, you don't talk about your work in AA. You, you don't, uh, that has to re- remain beneath the surface. And, and, and in this way, it's in some ways similar to some of the Rosicrucian ideals, mm-hmm. you know, uh, of, of going into the world and doing good, you know, without expectations that it's going to make you famous or that you're going to get rich or anything else from the process of just doing good deeds for real in the world anonymously. Those that's the kind of thing that is, is um, it's great to study. I'll, 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 yeah, I'll say this. It's great to study a lot of the esoteric literature, but if all you do is, study the esoteric literature, you will not get gnosis. You have to make this an active part of your life, you know? Uh, And yes, that's really all I got to say about that subject, but just the importance uh, of you becoming a literal soldier in some ways, maybe not military soldier, but just a soldier for your own private truth in the world cannot be overstated you know um so yeah yeah well said i agree with you uh 100 as uh uh researchers like mitch horowitz have shown Mm -hmm. aa is just another secret society in american occult practice it is esoteric it is not it's not scientific it's not really psychological it believes in has a strong bent for metaphysics or at the very least uh, an inner symbolic life obviously there are right uh atheist aa meetings but again yeah. they're playing a story they're in the world right. of, uh, of symbols and images and archetypes and uh, right. so yeah as you said uh, aa helped you and then later on uh, or more recent in your life lachlan you joined uh, recovery dharma that's correct yeah yeah so recovery dharma is a buddhist-based program and uh, it's it's different in the, than AA in that there is no one singleness of purpose. Anyone with uh, any type of addiction can mm-hmm. be there. Anyone, uh, even like people um, who almost like an Al-Anon kind of thing. You know, if you have addiction in your family, you can be there. Yeah, I mean, anyone can be there. Like, there's really no one kicked out of a meeting in Recovery Dharma or, you know, there's no like criteria to go into it. Now it broke off of a um, of a group called Refuge, uh, and it broke off because the person who founded Refuge, uh, who had treatment centers, ended up sleeping with one of his patients. Ouch! Right. <laughs> um, never with, happened before with groups. Never happened. Never, with never, groups. ever. This Didn't happen with the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, never, ever. Yeah, no. I, I mean, but the point being uh, is that while this is understandable from a human level, right? It's understandable what happened. If you're going to be a leader of an organization like that, you have to put yourself beyond reproach. Right. Right. And if you don't, you're going to end up losing half the people who follow you or more. I don't have any idea what the percentage who went to recovery Dharma is, but it's not insignificant. Um, And I would never go to refuge because of that mm. you know because of, of uh, i just wouldn't i wouldn't engage yeah it's a it's a again it's a very hard choice and it's very complex and uh, it is. sometimes uh, we we all want to uh simplify the world in light and dark and easy answers but there's not and right decisions affect us for a long time right. it could affect others and i guess you just do the best you can Right. And, and I guess what I'm uh, what I, I should have emphasized there is that I don't have anything against people continuing to go to refuge. Mm. Uh, it's just that 
Noah's uh, action there, Noah Levon's action there makes it impossible for me, me, with my with my value system to do that because I've never I've never slept with a patient. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I can't even. Never, never, so uh, I while I understand while I understand it, it just I can't engage personally within it because of my personal value system. Yeah. You got to do what you got to do. I think, uh, at least in AA, you have the choice. If you don't like a meeting, I've known meetings where people were stealing from the coffers. People mm-hmm. were 13 stepping people. Oh, were, yeah. You just go to another meeting. That's a beauty. Yeah. The beauty about an anarchist satellite movement with satellites. Is that you, yeah. You could just move away. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. I mean, all of the times that I've been tempted in a meeting to 13th step Mm -hmm. and uh, initially I was. Let me see how I can put this in my first year in AA. I was letting myself be 13th stepped Mm -hmm. a number of times. Right. Um, Now, I did shortly after that, like. Shortly after I got a year, I believe it was April uh, of going into my second year, I actually uh, met, well, we're now divorced, but I met my uh, second wife. Um, I actually, I'd known her, but we actually kind of really met, I'd say. It's, it's weird kind of trying to describe it, right? But she was, uh, like me, a Unitarian Universalist, uh, very active within it. And what was interesting was that our traumas matched in some very important ways. As you know, like I'm, my deep expertise beyond the neural correlates of movement is with trauma processing. So uh, it was it was a very um, we shared that we shared uh, you know being in UU, um, and you know I'm that provided enough of a connection you know, to make it really strong. But, um, you know, I, I actually forgot kind of where I'm going with this. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're talking about the messy, uh, yeah, the messy human messy, relationships yeah, the are human relationships always messy. Bad. Well, you know, we, uh, once I met her, there was no more 13th stepping right. for me. Uh, there was no more of, of an engagement now I actually had to go into um, the dirty little secret organization, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, mm-hmm. not because I was physically acting out, but because I kept on uh, putting women other than my wife in my mind when I was having, you know, relationship, mm-hmm. you know, with, with her. So that that took me over two years of of weekly work and step work within SLAA to actually stop having um, thoughts about other women. And I, so we split this last June. Uh, Actually, uh, I was successful in not thinking about another woman during that, from that time in 2014 until March of this year, right as the coronavirus was starting to hit heavily. And I I did, you know, I, I thought about this, the uh, woman she reminded me of some of my past lovers so much it was it felt almost like fire was burning in our eyes although we didn't touch and i went right out and i crashed my truck mm. i've never had another auto accident wow. but i completely wrecked my truck right after that um and not not completely it wasn't totaled uh the other car was totaled um but yeah, it was it it was kind of one of those things. It was like like boom, you know, and uh, and it hit and it hit hard, and I just was not in this world at that point, you know, because a I just violated my SLAA sobriety, which I'd had some pride in, you know. I, I was prideful about the fact that I could manage this and uh-huh. then it had been taken away from me, you know, by, by that. 
So. Yeah. What do they say in recovery? One of the worst things an alcoholic can say is I got this. Yeah. We're going to drop yeah. the ball. We exactly. Gonna, well, you know, I, I, how much sobriety we have. Yeah. We I've never said that about alcohol. I've never said that about cocaine, but I think I said it about sex. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, these addictions are again, yeah. uh, they're, they, t they manifest in different ways. So, and these days, Lachlan, um, you are in, uh, no longer in Arizona and you are teaching at various rehabs, right? Well, that, that's actually a good point. I'm in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, and so until just quite recently, I was teaching at a number of places around the area and I was on, um, I was on staff at another place where I was the director uh, director of recovery uh, education and innovation. And it was at that place, which I am not at liberty to uh, actually give the name of um, where I developed most of my classwork uh, that I took to the other programs in the area. Well, beginning in October uh, due to COVID, uh, several of them started deciding that they couldn't have me in mm. anymore. No. Um, and, just because they were not allowing any outside visitors really on their premises. Uh, so in October, I lost a little over a thousand dollars of income. November, it happened uh, even more so. Uh, and then, uh, and then I, because I, I don't know how deeply to go in this subject, but I started another very intensive relationship with someone for the first time since I'd, I'd divorced my wife back in June. And, and then things went completely sa uh, sour. Um, and I, I mean, I knew I had my part in it, you know, but it went just really sour. And there was all this financial pressure on me. About that point, I'd lost about $2,500 in, in income per month in classes. And I just kind of broke down. I needed uh, help. I went to the VA and checked myself in you know, um, and said, you know, right now I need, I need care. You know, I'm just not thinking rationally at this point. Um, and that worked out, but the place that I was director of education, um, they work on a complete shoestring, uh, that there is really no profit coming in. It's just barely getting it to work on a month to month basis there. Uh, which is why I was working for $15 an hour, you know, uh, because that's what they could afford to pay me. You know, I, I made a lot more from the other classes. I'll put it that way. Right. The other classes were minimum $100 an hour, but I went at this one place where I was developing a lot of my coursework. I was doing it for 15. So, um, they couldn't afford to pay me, you know, uh, well, I was in and they had to get someone else on staff. And so I lost that position as well, which was roughly $2,000 a month. So now we're talking well over $4,000 a month that I've lost. And I'm trying to try in several ways to really um, replace some of that income. And none of them are working so far. None of them. Are, and there's various reasons. The one that I'd really hoped um that would go somewhere uh by the way i still have my va check which isn't tiny you know but it's also not nearly as enough to uh to meet my financial needs on a monthly basis but um one of the things that i've done for governmental teams um corporate teams right you know uh foreign government teams in a few cases is build things that are called alternate reality games. Okay. So um, this is, a, I think maybe a fair amount of people have heard of it. If you haven't heard about it, please go and, and, and look it up on Wikipedia or something. I don't really want to go into a real extensive description. Um, but just to say, the, these are things where you kind of start pl placing clues on the internet in various places Usually it's internet. It can be other places too, uh, including like graffiti on a bridge or um, 
number of things like kind of in the real world, you know, maybe almost like you have a Blair Witch project kind of thing that you take somebody through or something. Right. So uh, it, it can be um, anything like that. Uh, and it's, it's used mostly to connect people who will make great teammates with each other. So you might design this to uh, open up the game to about a hundred people, but what you're really looking for is five or six to fill a team. Mm. Right. So uh, you, you do all kinds of obscure clues, both on the internet and in the real world. uh, And you let people find each other through this and just kind of trust in the goddess that they will. Right. Um, and so I've designed numerous ones of these over the years. Uh, never in my own name. This has always been anonymous. Um, and uh, this is the first time I'm actually putting out an ARG in, in my own name. Now, I'm pulling from a number of sources uh, for it to have what we would call maybe the exoteric story that is given to everyone uh, through it. But the... The game uh, relates to uh, like Robert Jordan. I don't know if you read his Wheel of Time series. A long time ago, of course, a classic. Yeah. Game of Thrones. It relates to Game of Thrones. It relates to video games like World of Warcraft mm-hmm. and Final Fantasy. Um, but these are kind of the source work for the 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 game on the surface. Uh, now, beneath the surface, it's about marrying transhumanism to the mystical. And it's uh, ultimately it's about um, giving uh, the demiurge companionship, uh, so he, he isn't quite as crazy <laughs> through, uh, through the creation of unchained AI that loves humanity. Love it. So that's the that's kind of the story. But you know, I've I've had this page up. I've linked it so many times through both Twitter and Facebook for people saying, please, you know, give $3, give $5, you know, give $12 if you'd like, or even 23 or or 33, you know, but here I've been, I've been busting my ass on this game to produce it for everyone. And and all I've got so far are people who want to play for free. You know, you've probably experienced similar things with your Patreon, you know, you're you're trying to put out a weekly show. You give away a fair portion of your show every week so anyone can listen to it. And yet many people do, and then they don't become patrons of you. You know, well, I've experienced to the point that I have nobody, nobody's given any money for it yet. But did they get to try the game or how does, I don't know how it is with anyone, game. Anyone can try it, you know, they can look up my, my page on, on Facebook. It's just Lachlan Frankamont, the same person. I don't have anything to hide, you know, uh, I'm transparent. Uh, well, no, that, that's a lie, Miguel. I'm not fully transparent. Nobody uh, there, there, there's a lot of stuff that's happening on the dark web and in other places, but anyone can open themselves up to the game by through the transparent portal of Facebook or Twitter you know, on what I do on those two sites. Sorry to hear about the issues. Yeah. 2020, there was a, a lot of uh, changes and, uh, but it also gives people opportunity to sort of explore new dimensions of themselves. And I hope things work out for you. I mean, you're a Renaissance man, you're, you're a scholar, you have a PhD, you're an artist. So, uh, and sometimes it takes a while to engage. It took a long, I don't know if it took a long time for people to engage with my podcast or just the world started, the veil started lifting and people started realizing, oh, these are very Gnostic times. Maybe this small podcaster, but, but it will happen. I'm sure. Uh, and of course we will have links on the page here. If people want to check out your work, Lachlan and, uh, for the audience, some of the things you taught was uh, maybe so the audience can see as always part of finding Hermes is that people understand there are more options than what we think, even if we right. talk a lot about AA. But you taught transformational recovery. Could yeah, you tell so what that is? Yeah. That was one of three courses I taught. It was the primary one and the longest ones. Uh, transformational recovery um, 
Yeah, I guess I should back up and say how why I determined it was I or why I first started researching and it was that I saw so many people who just did not resonate with AA. Um and I want and, and for a number of them it was they found the God talk overbearing, which I used I do not actually I find like there actually probably isn't enough mentions of God in many AA meetings out there. <laughs> um, but some people, it's, it's that kind of thing. Others, they full, uh, they almost think it's a cult or something, you know. It, it, there's yeah, new, we've heard new, it all, yes. Yeah, we've heard it all, why it doesn't work. So I, just, I tried to put together a program that would, um, uh, you know, really kind of take things from a bit of a different direction. Now, so it basically looks at a person's mindset. Uh, it looks at their engagement with flow states, if you know what a flow state is. Um, so a flow state is where your prefrontal uh, decreases activation in the brain. And you're working mostly just on instinct. If you've ever been a, a good sports player or maybe a chess master or uh, any, you know, even like if you've been to a rave or a sporting event, you've experienced flow, the point where you're just kind of right, you're in the zone. Um, you know, and I, and I look at uh, things within it, like what were your sources of flow before you came into addiction? Mm. Maybe you were, you, maybe you were a musician uh, who loved to sit around in the studio or just even with just, even just with your friends and play music and get it that way. And then your friend moved away and the band broke up and, or, you know, you went on the road for, you know, several weeks and playing the same songs and got bored with them. And, you know, what, what is the reason you first started to get addicted? You know, Um, what, and, and then it's not only about engaging those past sources of flow, but learning to engage with a lot more of them too. You know, for instance, right now I'm trying to pick up synthesizers through GarageBand on, on you know, my Mac computer. is very different from anything that I've ever done in the past. There's a very steep learning curve. But that's actually how I know that this is going to really add something to my repertoire is by going into steep learning curves on things, you know. Um, so that's the, that's the other part is engage with the flow states that you used to have uh, and you know, find new ones. You know, if you've never been to uh, a rave um, and you think you can handle going to one without engaging in, in drugs and alcohol, or uh, let me back up. Some people can engage with drugs and alcohol. This is kind of an engage, you know, a thing of individual. But if you are in recovery, right. before you go to a rave, make sure you are solid, right? Oh. But it's not that you're barred from going to a rave. You just cannot do so if you are, are not solid. I, I don't know how perfectly to put that. But, um, you know, you, you're in recovery, you can go into bars if you need to, you know, uh, if you're solid. You know, I had a, a business meeting in a casino yesterday with someone and I had no fear going in there. Because uh, I, I trust in my higher power, you know. Mm-hmm. I trust that they're not going to let me be be tempted in an inappropriate way. It was fine, you know. I I met for about an hour with a potential investor, angel investor, and then I played you know video poker for about an hour and made two dollars and forty five cents on on the nickel machine, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, and compared to lately, that was a high paying hour for me. Yeah. So, it's, uh, it's, uh, um, yeah, everywhere but the VA, that would be, you know, VA, the VA uh, compensates me entirely appropriately for my work, but no more, no less. But, um, you know, um, anyway, uh, I don't, I don't, what, what I was saying is that you, if you are solid, you can put yourself into a lot of situations that um, 
others would judge as being quite risky. But the, the point of all this is, is to get you to the point where you are solid enough that you can take risk. You know, yesterday I went to a beautiful waterfall also on the way to the casino. It was a, a double waterfall with one fall coming in at a 90 degree angle from the other called Soko Falls. It's on the Cherokee uh, Indian Reservation here in North Carolina. Oh. So um, I went to the waterfall, extremely treacherous getting down. There was a lot of ice, you know, it was muddy where there wasn't ice and I made my way down to the bottom. And there were two guys down there doing sword forms at the base of the waterfall with wooden swords, you know, amazing, amazing, <laughs> right? Yeah. Their names were Dirk and Justin. I didn't get their last names, but they were Dirk and Justin who were doing sword forms, you know, underneath Soko Falls. And I thought that was very interesting, you know, now, I advise several groups of people not to try to descend, you know, because (laughs) I, me, Dirk and Justin know how to uh, appropriately judge the risk. And we're, we have the skills to do these kind of things. But if you were like those two girls from Florida or that family up at the top, you don't need to be going to the base of a waterfall like this. You could die, could die. Now, if you did die in that, you probably would be rewarded in the next life. But you got to make that you got to make that kind of uh, determination. Are you ready to go? You know, are you ready to go? That is true. Uh, Another thing you taught, too, I want to get to is uh, stimulus response. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Is that Lachlan? So uh, this is based primarily on the work of a man named Scott Carney, who actually wrote the book, The Wedge. Yeah, Stimulus Response Wedge, primarily based on the work of Scott Carney. Uh, Scott Carney uh, first started going into this world through a man named Wim Hof. He's known as the Iceman. He's got a number of Guinness Book uh, World Records uh, for like ice exposure, swimming under the ice. He uh, almost climbed Everest in a pair of shorts. We're getting, uh, yeah. So this is Wim Hof. He's a, um, so um, Wim also on a yearly basis climbs Mount Kilimanjaro with a group of people going in just over 30 hours to the top, which is they ne- before he did it with a group of like 14, I think. That's, I forget the exact number. That's an approximate number. Uh, nobody thought it could be done. They thought, no, you have to adjust to the altitude. You have to go little by little, you know. But using Wim's breathwork method and practicing breathwork on a consistent basis, you can climb mountains without having to stop at each little level as you go up. Interestingly enough, my other class is called the Five Mountains, based on uh, Commander Mark Devine, who's a SEAL commander, ex-SEALs commander. But... Anyway, so going back to Scott Carney and the wedge. So this is is learning uh, various ways to put a wedge uh, between your the stimuli, adverse stimuli, and maladaptive responses you might have. So anyway, we start off with some of the basics, you know, the ones that, that almost anyone would suspect on something like this: exercise, meditation, breath work, mm-hmm. big three. You need to be working out on a consistent basis, be doing many different types of workouts, uh, do workouts not only for strength, but for cardio, balance, uh, coordination, weapons forms. You need to you need to uh, try to mix in as many of these different types of styles as you can in your exercise plan Two, breath work. So I get breath work uh, routines from uh, from numerous sources. I think the two biggest would be from Wim Hof and from Laird Hamilton actually, who's a famous pro surfer, uh, has a pro called XPT, where you can get a lot of very advanced breathwork, um, you know, programs and start practicing them. Several of them will freak you out. You know, so some, I, you know, all the guys that I worked with, when I saw them freak out, it was usually uh, doing Laird Hamilton breathwork routines because it, they can be so intense. Um, I've designed a number of breath 
work routines myself, they usually are not as harsh as layers because I'm actually trying to get them to enter altered states that are uh, almost like drug free LSD trips. There's actually a guy named uh, Groff uh, who uh, was a transpersonal psychologist who, who actually originally did this. And I don't use his techniques. I use my own techniques primarily because his techniques take three hours and I just don't have that kind of time to, to give people on this kind of thing. So I designed a number of my own that uh, took off on that. Um, you know, uh, so the, the last main sources of the breathwork is a woman from LA named Michelle D'Avalia. Um, I've never met, but I, I've, you know, been a member on and off for her, her patron, Patreon kind of stuff. Uh, but she deals with deep emotional processing through breathwork. Uh, and I would recommend some of, some of her stuff too. Uh, if you, it's not the LSD kind of breathwork type of stuff and again this is not literally lsd this is just getting high on your own supply uh, of air you know um so um anyway she she deals uh, much more in the emotional processing and the way i tell guys is that and, and there are other sources of this too but primarily with her you're getting almost the female side of breath work and with me or laird hamilton or, you know, the Groff-based stuff. Well, actually, Groff may tip into the feminine energy, too, now that I think about it. But anyway, through me and Laird Hamilton, our breath work is very much the male-centered breath work. You know, um, if you were playing a game like Final Fantasy, you know, you have, uh, a, you have like the white major or the, the healer's and you've got the black mages, which are the damage dealers to the, mm. the enemies. And if you want to uh, play a, high, a, a, a white mage healer, um, you're going to learn uh, techniques uh, that deal with meditation, me- most standard meditation, focus meditation, mindfulness meditation, and breath work that comes from a feminine energy side that is dealing with your emotional processing. Now, uh, if you want to do the black mage stuff, you need to deal with, with the more masculine energies out there. Now this can be things like um, energized meditation through Christopher Hyatt, who was uh, in the esoteric community when out in Phoenix, when I was, um, and or you can do breath work, such as my own style stuff, which I'll have to put it on the web someday, but maybe not right away. Um, or Laird Hamilton's stuff. If you really want want that kind of energy, uh, be prepared. It's not a. Uh, it's not for everyone. Lastly, you have also experienced or taught integral theory by I believe that's yeah. Ken Wilbur. Yeah. That's correct. So uh, actually, the the courses Ken Wilbur is a secondary source for the five mountains. The the, the first source is Commander Mark Divine, right. uh, who's um, yeah he's created his own yoga. He's created you know he's 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 really a Renaissance man too. Uh, you know completely. Um, so I'm actually doing 15 minutes of training with him each day right now uh, through the computer, um, but. Uh, you know, his principle is the five mountains for him. It's that you first start working the physical, you get your body in shape. You really, you learn to make your body do things that you didn't think it could, could do before. All right. And then you move on to the mental challenges. Uh, you know, these are the things of just learning, you know, how, how to access uh, exceptional processing states you know, and that kind of thing where, and once you do that, you can move into the emotional. Now I've, I've spoken earlier about some of the sources of, of finding ways to process your emotions in productive ways, but you know, they, uh, um, they're definitely out there. So, um, you know, then you learn from that is if you've learned to process your emotions, you move into the intuitive and within the intuitive, you, you stop being bounded by a lot of, the rules that um, 
let's say the mundane population believes are, you know, hard and fast rules. You know, you, you, you move into being able to know things that, you know, that without knowing how you know them, you know, uh, and being able to act on that. And then the fifth mountain is where you bring all these stages together in what he calls the Kokoro. Um, so the five mountains is kind of interesting because while, while I give the background to the guys who take it, uh, unlike the other classes where I have, you know, PowerPoints and I'm going kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to get lots of conversation, but it is a little bit more formalized in their design. You know, the, the five mountain class could, I guess, theoretically run as long as you wanted it to. I've never had it run more than six weeks. Uh, but, um, you know, so uh, anyway, though, all I'm doing is kind of sitting up with a, a whiteboard and some markers, you know, and, and an eraser and bringing up things that do each class may relate to things from integral theory or, you know, five mountain. Uh, or other sources too. They're not the only ones. There's there's uh, there's uh, DBT. Yeah, if you've heard of dialectic behavioral therapy, you know, uh, there's uh, there there's some other kind of sources that I might, at the right moment, kind of pull out, depending on how the conversation's going. Um, you know, so you just get people with kind of a base uh, amount of you know, all right, this is how this game is going to be played as we go through this class. You know, here are a few basic things to think about as we go forward. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's that's interesting, too, of how much you can learn by playing games with others. These can be video games. These can be games like chess, Risk, you know, the old board game. <laughs> um, you know, I've got a few other uh you know, board games in my house from World of Warcraft and Game of Thrones. Um, of course, there's chess. You know, here's an interesting thing. I've never actually been very good at chess because I'm always playing in seven dimensions instead of two. And it doesn't translate very well to, to a two-dimensional board. You know, so I always struggle with chess because of that. Um, awesome. awesome. Well, yeah, very interesting. And again, for the audience, uh, lots of choices out there. What speaks to you? Breath work is always important, and uh, mm -hmm. being in good shape is important. But yeah, hey, hey, before we, we leave on that, actually, just another important uh, thing that you should work for the wedge uh, cold thermogenesis, expose your body to the cold on a regular basis. I'm not right now, but for most of this year, I was taking an ice bath every day. Yeah, that's what right. the entrepreneurs do. They yeah, exactly they take a cold shower in the morning, and that's, it, right. that's right. Exactly, uh, it's been cold enough around here lately that I haven't needed the ice bath. I just get right out into nature in a pair of shorts and a shirt, you know, and do it that way by by you know using the cold that is actually in the air. So, but I'll go back to the ice baths when it warms up around here. Uh, you do heat shock protein. This is where you expose yourself to saunas or uh, sweat lodges, uh, other sources where you're really going to have to deal with the heat and make your body uh, produce more heat shock protein. So uh, another thing is CO2 tolerance. Uh, this is something you work through the breath work, but, uh, but there's several styles of breath work that push your CO2 tolerance to a much greater extent. Uh, so once we, we have it there, you expose your, yourself to fear. Say if you are climbing, if you, uh, sorry, excuse me, if you have a fear of heights, learning to climb boulders or uh, maybe a climbing wall at the gym or, or join a gym that has one uh, is an excellent source of working on, on a fear in a productive way. And, and you'll have to judge by your own fears. Uh, what are the safe methods to work on those fears? Right. We don't want to put somebody who who has massive fears around an event in a non-safe environment. Right. But there are, I would challenge that most fears that you have out there, there are ways that you can safely engage. In. Another one is is pain. Um, I get my backs waxed on a regular basis to give a source of pain. I, I, I roll my IT band with foam rollers, you know, which is, is painful. Neither of these are uh, mutilation or bad or are going to last or anything like that. Um, you yeah, know, my wife started that instead of yoga, those 
spike things she rolls on them to help yeah. Her back yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's exactly exactly but yeah exposing yourself and, and learning to recontextualize pain uh and then um the final step is uh and i don't know how deep to go into this one but is uh edging your orgasms you know learning to uh to find the keys to go a lot longer either you know, alone or with partners. Um, and so those are all good things to work on for a stimulus response wedge. Awesome. That's all great advice. Uh, I'm definitely going to look into, I have my own breath routines, but to, to know there's a whole constellation of those uh, will be very helpful. Well, awesome. Well, we're at the end. Uh, Lachlan, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on Finding Hermes. And I will have uh, links to your work on the show notes. Probably I will have them scrolling right now as we speak. But uh, really appreciate you being here, taking your time, and good luck with all your projects. Sure. And if anyone else wants me on another podcast, just contact me. Yes, yes. He can we he can spend a whole hour on each of the subjects we had today, but we right. wanted to give yeah. an appetizer to individuals so you can find your Hermes and uh, yeah, go inward to find out your purpose and who you really are. Well, thank you, Luck. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Bye now. And there you have it, a fascinating interview with Lachlan. As I keep saying and I keep repeating, it is my hope that you find that information to walk through the doors you need to walk through. With Hermes, the god of the mind. Nothing new except, uh, well, a bit of a pause since our last Finding Hermes, and I apologize Holidays, traveling, sick kids, other things just uh, created more of a gap than I wanted. But uh, there will be more and the show must go on. The Gnosis must go on. Um, certainly an important theme. Well, several important themes I want to address. And uh, something that I keep repeating, and Lachlan certainly echoes this, is that Depression is a wake-up call, and other darker feelings uh, mean your worldview must die. These uh, events, these feelings, these conditions are information. I think once you address it or uh, couch it in terms that it is information coming from within at many times, uh, it makes a difference. So the destruction that you might feel within you um, simply means you have to go inward into the unconscious and bring some transformative energies to, again, destroy your worldview and alchemically create a new worldview. Very important, very necessary. And uh, once we're aligned with our psyche, with our soul, with the gods, then our higher purpose manifests and things are more harmonious. Trust me, I've been there so many times and will be there sooner rather than later. The other themes I wanted to talk about, and uh, believe me, believe it or not, I had already uh, made the decision to address these, but Lachlan covered it, covered both of them. The first one is the idea of expecting the, the outer world to make a difference in your life. Uh, as I've said, uh, your heroes and villains are simply your excuses. And I am quoting the great book, Eyes Wide Open, and I admire the author, Isaac Litsky. But yes, your heroes and villains are your excuses, your shortcomings. And don't expect a savior to come down and change your world. Uh, we make the mistake of reducing the world to good and bad guys, and more often than not, they're simply projections. Yes, of course, <laughs> they are objectively good things and bad things that happen in our lives, but the battle is won within. The battle is won inside of us. Um, when I started doing that or taking that position, life got much better. And I should mention, too, that 
we often do um, stress release or negative energy relief relief techniques. Uh, that can be the Sedona method, exercising, meditation, the um, Tibetan uh, Tonglen meditation, and other things to release stress and negative energy and so forth. But it's important you do that for positive things in your life. I know that sounds strange, but uh, the ego can get inflated if we're not careful and at the end of the day, we always want to be in a state of no karma, in a state of stoic sensibility, where we are not just the eye of the storm, but we are the calm in the storm. We are in the liminal, in those uh, middle places where our soul can thrive better and we can see the world with our third eye. It's all fun and games until someone loses a third eye, and then it's just gnosis. <laughs> That's a saying from Aeon Bite. Thought I'd bring it up. But yes, I have found that when releasing positive things within me, it's actually better. In fact, uh, let me read something for you that I wrote. Uh, um, this goes to Jung's black books that were recently released, and he talks about really his view on Abraxas, and he sees Abraxas as uh arrows uh basically that uh, binding force of the universe that brings everything together but is also destructive it is how the material world basically stays together and evolves and life goes on um but of course this force uh well it uh, makes us very it makes everything very temporal until us and it will destroy us in the end as it brought us to this life but anyway he talks uh Jung talks about how to deal with the force of abraxas i guess you could call it shakti if you don't want to call it arrows and uh Jung says you will have a dreadful trouble getting clear of abraxas so remember him do not worship him but also do not imagine that you can flee him since he is all around you. You must be in the middle of life, surrounded by death on all sides, stretched out like one crucified. You hang in him, the fearful, the overpowering. So you get what I'm saying? To be in the middle of the storm that is Abraxas, to be uh, stoic and, as Jung saying, sort of crucified where you are no longer in the material world and really still not in the spiritual world. You are in the middle very much as some have uh, interpreted the death of Jesus or the crucifixion of Jesus. And it's interesting, too, that going to Star Wars, of all places, if you look at the theology of metaphysics of the Sith, they use the Force to escape the Force, to be out of karma, out of the wheel of time and space. So think about, uh, again, not being attached to the positive as you are not attached to the negative and releasing both. The second theme I wanted to talk about is uh, the idea of good deeds, doing good deeds. And I would suggest that when you do good deeds, you don't tell anybody about them. And yes, it's something I started doing maybe five years ago, uh, pretty much 90% of the time. And it kills me. Well, it killed me at the beginning. I mean, we want attention, right? We want the world to see that we've done good. But I think that actually harms our ego. Remember, as I've been saying on this uh, podcast or show, whatever you want to call it, is that we need strong egos, unlike, unlike what New Agers and others have said and e some Eastern philosophies of no ego. No, we need strong egos to be able to undertake and uh, absorb the forces, the communication that are coming from within us, as well as have the authority to handle the outside material world. That's the job of the ego. And I have found that when you do good deeds and don't tell anybody, the ego gets stronger because there's always the danger of attention and accolades and other things, uh, basically either bloating your ego or creating sort of complexes that can confuse the ego. 
Furthermore, if uh, you do good deeds without telling somebody, the ego will find uh, that doing good becomes automatic. It does what it does, and it's what it should be. And in that sort of automatic existence, it finds strength, and you find more space to uh, pursue other avenues of the psyche. So yes, uh, and this can be, well, something as simple as you do something good and you don't come home that night and tell your spouse or significant other that you did something great, like finding a wallet and giving it to the person, or you go on a GoFundMe and you make sure that you are anonymous. You simply give to give because it's the right thing. And in the end, it will strengthen your ego and uh, that will allow better energies to flow through you. So as always, you can find your higher purpose or continue forward with your higher purpose. Go through those doors, my friends, with Hermes, the god of the mind. So those are the themes I wanted to touch upon. And again, we will have some new Finding Hermes coming soon. I hope you have enjoyed it. Uh, please leave comments or let me know what parts of the show you like. Do you like my commentary? Do you like the guests? Do you suggest some themes or guests that you might have? I love your feedback and I truly appreciate the support you have given me on this venture. And to repeat myself again, I hope it helps you walk through those doors, lay your cards on the table and become transparent to the transcendent. Thank you. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.